Well, if you would, this evening, I'm going to have you turn back to the same place where we were this morning, John chapter 1. We looked at verse 14 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 18 tonight. They form one unit. So let me read for you John chapter 1 and verses 14 through 18, and then we will consider John, uh, excuse me, verses 15 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, has, he has made him known. Well, our first point tonight is the unique origin of Jesus. John the Baptist in his ministry boldly declared that even though Jesus was born after him, he came before him. In verse 15, it says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And John was obsessed, John the Baptist, with the uniqueness of Christ's person. Of course, John was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, basically the one who cries out and introduces the New Testament. And I love the way that John is such an example for us as believers of being literally obsessed with Christ. Christ was his whole life. It is what he planned for. It is what he preached. It is what he died for. I have made this statement to you before, but as you read through the pages of Scripture, especially through the New Testament, it is impossible to be too consumed with Jesus. It is impossible to be too obsessed with Jesus. I think because of our fallen sinful nature, even though we are redeemed, still we struggle with focusing on Christ and making him the very center of our thoughts and our life. And John constantly stands before us as what it means to really focus and be obsessed with the person of Christ. And for that, we love him. And of course, in the Gospel of John, we will look at him more. In this particular section, he is saying that Jesus is entirely without historical origins. Jesus, we know, was born six months after John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was actually, from a human standpoint, born first. But John said this, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He's saying... Jesus is preexistent. Don't miss it. 
John is declaring that Jesus is God. In this little statement, John is declaring that Jesus is God. Now, if you are reading from the ESV or the NIV tonight, you will notice that verse 15 is parenthetical. There is a parenthesis around that verse. There is a, a reason for that. I'm not sure what the, that the King James Version has it, but the parenthesis is correct. And what the thought is, is that the Apostle John says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then really the flow of the text goes down to verse 16. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. But it's almost as if the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, oh, by the way, remember what John the Baptist said. As I explained to you that the word became flesh. And we've received from the fullness of his grace. Remember what John said. John said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. A great statement on the deity of Christ. In John chapter 3 and verses 33 through 35, John the Baptist, have to keep making that distinction between the Apostle John and John the Baptist. But John the Baptist says this of Christ. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he, referring to Christ, gives the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands or into his hand. The Father loves the Son and has given all things all things into his hand. Well, as I mentioned, verses 14 and 16 are directly connected in the logic of the text. So we need to briefly review the truths of verse 14, and maybe there are a few of you here tonight that weren't here this morning. So again, the flow of the text goes from verse 14 to verse 16, with verse 15 being a true parenthesis, almost a sidebar, almost a side statement. So, the flow of verse 16 comes from verse 14. And as I shared with you this morning, the Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ, became a man. And he pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. I was so fascinated, so enthralled this week as I studied verse 14, just to be reminded again that everything about the Old Testament tabernacle, all of its pieces, the way it was set up, what it was used for, all of it is pointing as a type to Christ. It is all pointing to Christ. And as we come to verse 14, it's this great statement. The Old Testament tabernacle in all of its meaning has now found its fulfillment. It has now been fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. In his very person and work, Jesus is the revelation of the glory of God. And as I mentioned to you this morning, 
Jesus reveals the glory of God in who he is as a person. In what he taught, in the miracles he did, in the way he rebuked the demonic forces. In everything about his life and ministry, he is the revelation of the glory of God. He is full of grace. Filled to the brim with grace. He is the very meaning of grace. Perfect. Perfect grace. The undeserved kindness and love and favor of God toward those who don't deserve it at all. But not only is he full of grace, he's full of truth. And as I mentioned this morning, the word truth here means the truth about the character of God. In Jesus Christ, he is the truth in his person and in his teachings. He is the truth about God. We can't approach God any way we want or imagine him any way we want him to be which is the great error of mankind throughout history. We want to make God in our own image. We want to sit and imagine what I think he might be like. We don't have that right. We must accept him and worship him and relate to him as he has revealed himself to us. So Jesus is full, full of grace and full of of truth. And that leads us to our second point tonight as we continue to focus on grace and truth, and that is our second point. Jesus is the unique channel of all God's material and spiritual blessings. So, flowing from verse 14 right to verse 16, so he's full of grace and truth. Then it says, for from his fullness, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, I want to go back over something with you tonight. You may be familiar with it, but maybe some of you are not. And it's just a good thing to review from time to time. All people, the saved and the unsaved, experience what is known as common grace. Jesus teaches about common grace in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that God causes his son to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous and brings rain on the evil and the good. So all people, whether you're saved or unsaved, to a degree experience the grace of God every single day. We live and breathe in the grace of God. If you think about it, even the atheist who does not acknowledge God, who turns his back on God, still experiences the common grace of God. An atheist may have a good job. He may make good money. He may live in a nice home. He may have children. His children may go off to college and be well educated. He may have many things that he doesn't realize he has only because God is so gracious and so kind. But this verse, verse 16, 
is really saying that Christians, in a special way, experience the grace of God. Now, we do experience grace in material blessings. We do. All of us do. Even more so, in a sense, and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want it to sound like the prosperity gospel. But even as believers, God blesses us materially. We pray for a job. And God hears our prayer and answers our prayer. Many of you here tonight have prayed specifically for employment. And God has answered that prayer and sometimes in miraculous ways for you. We pray about a financial need. And because you are his son or daughter, he answers you. You're making a decision about buying a home. And you want to make sure you're making the right decision. That it's not too much for your income. That it's... You are getting something that you need and that will be good for your family. And so you pray and God hears your prayer and he answers your prayer. So yes, there is that sense in which when we have material needs that God in a special way hears his own children and he answers them. But in the context of John chapter 1, especially the first 18 verses, which is known as the prologue of of the book of John, as I have shared this with you, the primary reference to verse 16 is spiritual. It is the spiritual blessings that only God's children experience. Think about it. Jesus is the source of your salvation. You can truly say from his fullness we have received Grace upon grace in our salvation. It is the free gift of God through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus is the source of our assurance. Only Christians have an assurance that they will be with the Father someday. When either the rapture takes place or we die, we know that we will be with him. Not because of our good works or good life, but because we have been bonded together in Jesus Christ and have a saving relationship with him. Jesus is the source of our peace. Now, we have peace with God, a positional peace with God through Jesus Christ. But as Christians, we also have what is known as experiential peace. We do. God gives us a settled peace. We have a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that only a Christian has, a peace that the world does not understand or know. Christian, or Jesus, is the source of our guidance. He guides us. He directs us. He helps us as we make decisions in a way that he does not help those who are outside the body of Christ. And we could certainly say, That Jesus is the source of our joy. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is my strength. And certainly that is true for us. We have a joy. A joy that doesn't come from material blessings necessarily. A joy that the world doesn't know. A joy of knowing Jesus. Of being in right relationship with him. Of having fellowship with him. On a daily basis. 
And we could certainly say Jesus is the source of our soul's satisfaction. We have a contentedness. We have desires that are fulfilled that can only be fulfilled through Christ and in Christ. And truly our brothers and sisters around the world, maybe who have very little, experience the same joy and the same satisfaction of the soul because they know Jesus. It isn't found in the size of your home or in the car you drive, but in the relationship that you have. And so John says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And I don't know about you, but I love that phrase. Grace upon grace. It's like the grace is piled upon us. Well, in verse 17, John gives us an important comparison between the law and Moses on one hand and then grace and truth through Jesus on the other hand. And again, the logic and flow of the text is important for us because it says in verse 14, he is full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, for from his fullness... He's full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And do you know why? Do you know why? For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And the great declaration here is that something better has come. The fulfillment of God's redemptive plan has come. In Christ, there is something, in a sense, new that supersedes all that came before it. Well, the law was given through Moses. And it could be translated, but, but, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Think of the contrast. Under the law, God demands righteousness from his people. Under grace, he gives us righteousness to us. Under the law, righteousness is based on Moses and good works. Under grace, it is based on Christ and Christ's character. The very righteousness of Christ is transferred or imputed to us. Under the law, Blessings accompany obedience. You obey, you are blessed. But under grace, don't miss this, under grace, God bestows his blessings as a free gift. And what a thought for us. Whether we are faithful or not, whether we are obedient or not, God still blesses us. Yes, we want to be faithful. Yes, we want to be obedient. But grace upon grace is so amazing and so full that even when we are not as faithful as we should be, even when we are not as obedient as we should be, we still experience the amazing grace of God. The law we know is powerless to, to secure salvation and bring eternal life to sinful people. It is unable to do that. But grace came in its fullness with Christ's death and resurrection to make salvation possible to all who believe in Christ.
The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to clarify something tonight so that there's no misunderstanding. And no one explains this better than Paul does in the book of Romans. The law was good. I don't want you to think it isn't. The law was good. It was the expression of the perfectness of all the attributes of God. It was his standard of righteousness. But we all fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of his standard. The law shows us how sinful we are. It shows us our inability to keep the law. Paul tells us in Galatians 4 that it is a schoolmaster, a tutor, to lead us to Christ, to show us that we can't earn, can't possibly earn our own salvation. So the law is good. But here's the beauty of this. Something better has come. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than the priests of Israel. Jesus is greater than the Leviticus or the Levitical sacrificial system. If you don't believe me, just read the book of Hebrews. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Something greater has come. The one who is greater has come. The law was good, but it could not save us. The one who can save us has come. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well, Moses, the lawgiver, longed to see the face of God. But Christians, by grace, behold God. Through the person of Jesus Christ. I just want to say that again for you. Moses the lawgiver longed to see the face of God. But Christians by grace behold God. Through the person of Jesus Christ. I want to read something for you and then read verse 18. Because verse 18 is just an amazing verse. And I want to try to bring out its fullness. There are two chapters that should fascinate you as you read through the Bible. They are Exodus chapters 33 and 34. Moses, bless his heart, what a man of God. He longed to see the face of God. He longed to see the glory of God. And in Exodus chapter 3, there is this great interaction between Moses and God. And in Exodus 33, 18 through 23... Moses is talking with God, and here's what it says. It's a little longer passage, but bear with me here. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he, God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, but, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. O Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You need to understand that passage to understand verse 18. This is what John says. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And remember, it talks about Moses in verse 17. Then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, not even Moses. However, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, stick with me tonight. This is important. In Christ, God came to people in a way that enabled them to know God in a way that not even Moses could. That's how important Jesus is. In Christ, God came to people in a way that enabled them to know him, even in a way that Moses was unable to. Jesus is at the Father's side. Interesting statement. At the Father's side literally means in the Father's chest. That's what it means. It means to be in his chest. Some say it means to be in his lap. He's that close to the Father. Three distinct persons, but one God. He is at the Father's side. He has made the Father known to us. In Jesus, the character and person of God can be known. And there is no true Knowledge of God apart from Christ. There is no true knowledge of God apart from Christ. The only God who is at the Father's side. Know this. He has made him known. And you know what that means? It means the simplest believer. Who sees Jesus Christ. sees the glory of God full of grace and truth. The simplest believer in any people group around the world sees Jesus Christ, or when he sees Jesus Christ through the pages of Scripture, sees the glory of God full of grace and truth. He sees Jesus, or he sees God in a way that not even Moses could. That is the great honor and the great privilege of being a child of God. Behold Jesus, for in beholding Jesus, you are beholding God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Savior in all of his beauty, in all of his grandeur. Thank you that in the face of Christ, We see God in all of his fullness, and for that we are thankful. I pray tonight that we of all people would long 
to know Jesus in a deep and intimate way, to fall in love with him in the pages of Scripture, to walk with him, to fellowship with him each and every day. For we do, as we always do, we pray in his name. Amen.